Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Kazakhstan is having elections to the Medjlis, or lower house of parliament, on March 19th, the first parliamentary election since the adoption of a new constitution in 2022. Campaigning has started, but these elections are a bit different. For the first time since 2004, independent candidates are allowed to compete for 29 seats that will be chosen in single-mandate districts. The remaining 69 seats will be chosen by party lists, and seven parties registered. the seven parties registered to participate in the elections are all considered pro-government. These elections are part of what President Kasim Jamar Takayev says is the creation of a new Kazakhstan, but is it? To discuss all this, I am joined by Paolo Sorbello a journalist living in Almaty for many years now, uh, and an English-language editor at Kazakh independent media outlet Vlas.kz. Darhan Hello. Hello. Uh, Darhan Umarbekov is the digital editor at the Astana Bureau of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's Kazakh service, known locally as Azatik. And thank you both for joining me. Uh, and the first question, I'll start with you, Darhan, but this question goes to both of you. So I want to hear both of your comments on this. And I want to deal with some of the changes that the Constitution has made in the parliament. The new Constitution, according to it, it takes powers from the presidential branch, from the presidency, the executive branch, and gives them to the legislative branch or the parliament. Do any of the people you speak with believe that that gives these upcoming elections more importance than previous parliamentary elections? Darhan? I would love to say yes, but uh, it's hard to say yes now because the the politic, political analysts and experts they are all they all agree that in terms of check and balance, nothing has changed. And even if even though we are not seeing a comparatively lively uh, election campaign, uh, in that thirty uh, percent of the seats are elected on a single mandate districts. The authorities are not uh, losing their control, the grip on legislative body. So our presidential administration has uh, still a full uh, grip on the parliament. And even if all of those um, 29 uh, seats will be taken by genuine opposition figures, uh, the parties are still uh, going to play uh, an important role in in, uh, deciding what to uh, accept as, as as a law. So basically, overall, we don't see any uh, serious change. Okay, uh, thank you. And Paulo, same question for you. Do any of the people that you talk to think these elections are more important than the last two or three parliamentary elections they've run because parliament is supposed to have more power now? Well, uh, I wouldn't say that, they're, that that's the reason why they are more important. First of all, because I agree a lot with uh, Darhan, the, the control remains in the government and uh, a ruling party as well. Uh, I mean, the Amanat ruling party uh, is no longer Tokayev's party because Tokayev resigned last year. Uh, however, uh, it's very much controlled by, by Tokayev and, and its government. It organized Tokayev's presidential campaign in November. And let's not forget that some of its members, some of the members of the ruling party will also run in the single mandate districts, so as as a single people, as individuals, so there's a high chance that the the composition of the parliament won't change much after the elections. I believe the change instead is is not as much brought by constitutional amendments, but by the kind of new new vibe, new uh, color that is brought 
to to this campaign this year kind of bring, brings brings back to, uh, the country to uh, 19 years ago when we had the last time that uh, single uh, mandate districts uh, were allowed to have individual candidates. Okay, and let me let me ask you a follow up question then. Um, you know, there, there are independent candidates running. As we said, I, I believe right after they finished registration, they said there was 435 people registered as independent candidates, but some have since been disqualified, uh, including some prominent activists. Could you speak a little bit about some of these uh, independent candidates who are not uh, running from government, not out of government, pro-government parties? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there are a few of them, um, and they're all quite interesting, uh, also because some of them are very, very young, and some of them probably weren't even born. <laughs> uh, I mean, they were just very, like, s- small children uh, when, when the last time we had um, single-mandate districts elections. So, so yeah, that, that's the, the exciting part, because it's new faces, it's new people who uh, bring new ideas. The fact that they, some of them are, have been t- kind of taken down from the lists, from the candidates list, is a testimony of the confusion inside the electoral commissions. Because um, the electoral committees are basically uh, failing to be clear in the requirements uh, that the candidates need to uh, abide by to run. And some of the reasons why why these candidates have been stricken off is actually are actually being fought in court, and we've seen several times uh, independent candidates being taken off and then t- uh, putting put back on the lists because the uh, the candidate won in court against the electoral commission. So uh, the the just this is all uh, to say that the system is quite complicated. Okay. Uh, thank you. And Darhan, I, I, you know, I also want to hear your thoughts on this too, if I could. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, Igarim Tleujan, for instance, who was, who was uh, registered as a candidate and I believe went to the Central Election Commission office to pick up her registration forms and then was detained right after, right when she came, left the building. And, and she's had problems. But can you speak about some, you know, some of the individual cases, her case or, or perhaps Kosai uh, Mahambayev or, or some of them? Regarding uh, uh, Tlujan and Mahambayev, uh, so they are being uh, charged with criminal offenses during the January uh, events last year. And when we uh, uh, asked for a comment from uh, Evgeny Jovtis, human rights defender, he said that since they're being charged with like heavy criminal, you know, articles, so technically the authorities have formal. Uh, rights to uh, detain them. But uh, the human rights defenders argued that uh, they, they are being charged with made-up uh, cases that the authorities haven't provided like solid evidence of them perpetrating uh, the, the law during the January events. But there are other independent candidates who uh, have their registration revoked because of the discrep- discrepancies in their tax declarations. And it seems like a, a huge drawback of the election legislation because uh, uh, there are some instances where the candidates could do nothing to avoid not to show, uh, not showing these uh, discrepancies, you know. For example, Sanavar Zakirova uh, says that uh, when the local election commission uh, revoked her uh, registration. They said that 
she had shares on some companies and she didn't uh, declare those shares. And uh, Sanavara Zakirva told us that she was unaware of these uh, shares and someone allocated those shares to her not without notifying her. So there are some uh, situation when, situations when the candidates could do nothing to prevent this, uh, you know, uh, misinformation in terms of tax declarations. And this it seems like a huge problem to many genuine independent candidates. And when we talk to local observers and uh, local candidates, so pro-government uh, candidates have never faced these kind of challenges. So it means that the authorities may have been using this uncertainty in legislation to you know, hunt, hunt down critics of the authorities or opponents. Thank you. And let, let me ask you um, also, could you, could you give us uh, the situation with, with uh, Inga Imanbai right now? And um, is she still registered? as a, I know she wanted to register as a candidate. Is she still registered? Uh, and uh, if you could explain also to our audience who uh, Inga Imanbai is. Uh, Inga Imanbai is uh, the wife of a prominent young opposition figure, Jambulat Mamai, who has been uh, struggling to uh, register his party, Democratic Party of Kazakhstan, and who has been detained for many, many times for uh, holding public assembly, for attending the January events, uh, January protests. And Inga Imanbai is now is being nominated both from her own and from uh, on behalf of her husband as well. And she is uh, uh, rooting for real political changes. And she is considered to be like a genuine opposition figure and genuine opponent to uh, the authorities. She's a, a journalist by primary profession, but now she's participating in public life. And to the best of my recollection, she's uh, doing a, a, her a campaign in Almaty in a, you know, uh, with uh, full support of uh, her allies. And so far, the authorities uh, haven't made an attempt to revoke her registration. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, and now let's go. We're going to switch to the, the other part of this election, which is the party lists. And Paula, I'll start with you. There's seven parties registered to participate in elections. That's two more than was usually the case. Uh, and of course, the same three parties have been in parliament, are the only ones that have been in parliament for the last, after the last three elections, uh, more than 10 years now. What can you tell us about the, the party lists, these parties that are registered? Any variation at all? All pro-government, pro-president? Well, the, the, the three that were in parliament before and uh, are likely to, to get to parliament again are clearly pro-government. The other two that were registered almost in a hurry uh, last fall, they were, they are, they're not real opposition parties. Uh, one is called uh, Respublica, which uh, is also a way of uh, confusing people because uh, uh, the former, uh, uh, the, the opposition from abroad by uh, Mukhtar Blyazov, an opponent, a longtime opponent of uh, former President Nazarbayev, his uh, newspaper back in the day was called Respublica. So, so it's also a way of confusing people, and but it's actually a, a, a blogger's uh, party that roots for entrepreneurship 
and uh, who knows if they're even going to get uh, one deputy in, in parliament. And the other one is a so-called ecological party or environmentalist party, which doesn't have any experience uh, advocating for the environment. And so it's highly disputable whether these two parties are there to actually bring change as much as uh, to bring confusion in the in the ballots. Okay, uh, thank you, thank you. And uh, uh, Darham, we'll get to you. The people you talk about, do they see any difference? Can they distinguish these parties? Do they see any difference between them? When you look, when you look at or think about all seven of them, are they just kind of all the same, the same pro-government party? Yes, I think uh, I think there are no doubts regarding two newly registered parties. I mean, they're all, uh, almost all the observers and experts and analysts see them as uh, you know artificially created pro-government uh, parties. And if you look at the members of these initiation initiative groups. Uh, they have never expressed opposition to the authorities, and uh, they all they were always siding with the government. They were, uh, you know, attending the pro-government campaigns in the past, and the, so there are no signs of them being uh, like junior opposition parties. Regarding the the old existing parties, they all proved that they support President Tokayev and they support all the ideas coming from the ruling party. And, and whenever we have a chance to ask them questions, why are uh, so why are you running for the election? Why are you opposing the ruling party? They, their answer is like, uh, we're not opposing, you know, uh, the ruling party or the president. We are just, uh, we, we want to address some certain specific questions uh, we are created for, like, when we talk about the Arjol party, they, uh, you know, they try to portray themselves as the party for entrepreneurs. And they say, we only raise the problems of entrepreneurs when it comes to Hal- uh, Kazakhstan Halk Party, who are the successors of the old communist party. They focus on the elderly, perhaps Slavs, who, you know, have some uh, positive uh, recollections about the Soviet times. And there are like Awul parties, which are supposed to attract uh, the voters from the rural districts. So that more or less, uh, the concept is the same to what Kremlin exploits in Russia. So they divide the elect, um, voters into categories and they are creating like uh, sub-parties to attract those subcategories, but they are not, letting a universal party that can uh, compete with Amanat. So they, they basically, they're saying, we have all kinds of parties to satisfy all the needs of Kazakh people. And only Amanat or Norotan uh, formerly can is uh, the most prominent, the most universal, powerful party that can be, that is above all these competing parties. So it's like a, a game uh, and it's not a new game. It's, it's a you know strategy uh, enacted during the Nazarbayev era and uh, some local analysts are uh, disappointed that Tokayev is still using uh, the Nazarbayev era tactics to hold uh, new elections. 
Great. Thank you. And, and um, just for the benefit of some of our audience who might not have been following pol- Kazakh politics uh, in the last couple of weeks as closely as we have, um, th- there, there are no genuine opposition parties. President Takayev and other officials promised that or at least said that they had no uh, objections to opposition parties. But but several tried, Darhan, right? Several parties tried to register and were all rejected. Exactly. There are Alga parties uh, by uh, Jasaral Juan Shalin, who has been very uh, like a strong vocal critic of the authorities in who uh, has never been associated with the authorities, you know, because there are other uh, like uh, false opposition figures who are affiliated with authorities. And there are, uh, there are a couple of parties uh, related to oligarch in exile uh, or b- inter- businessman in exile, Mukhtar Ablazov, to one of them is Democratic Choice of uh, Kazakhstan. Another one is Koshir Partiasa, or the Party of the Streets. And the authorities declared both of them as extremists and uh, illegal parties. And there's one more. Uh, we, we've mentioned it is, uh, is uh, Jambulat Mamai's uh, Democratic Party of Kazakhstan movement. They, these are the movements or uh, groups that have been constantly failing to register. And every time they apply for the registration, the Minister of Justice seem to find some, you know, innocuous uh, discrepancies in their application. And meanwhile, new parties are registered in, you know, very narrow, narrow time. Like they, we haven't seen any signs or uh, like visual evidence that they are be uh, campaigning to register party. We suddenly know that they applied for the party registration and suddenly they are uh, registered by the Minister of uh, Justice. Meanwhile, there are movements that have been attempting to register for years and they uh, the ministry finds every time like the super innocuous mistakes and sometimes uh, this mis- their uh, reasons uh, seem to be inappropriate for many in Kazakhstan. Okay, great. Thank you for clarifying that. We've reached a halfway point in our discussion, so it is time for me to remind that this is the Medjelis podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Benier, host of the Medjelis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. We're talking about the March 19th elections to Kazakhstan's Medjelis or Lower House of Parliament and the current campaign for those elections. And joining me for this discussion are Darhan Umerbeka, digital editor at Astana Bureau of RFARL's Kazakh Service, known locally as Azatik, Paolo Cerbello, a journalist living in Almaty for years now, and the English language editor at Kazakh independent media outlet Vlas.kz. Thank you both again for being on the program with me. Paolo, I want to start with you because you've seen several of these elections. You know, given that, that this is supposed to be part of the new Kazakhstan, do you see anything different on the streets, on TV, anything that would indicate to you that this election is something different from what we've seen in, in a few years ago or, uh, you know, any of the last two or three times they've done elections? Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen um, very strong targeted campaigns, especially on the internet, especially on social media, YouTube, Instagram. Whenever you go on social media, you can find uh, the ads from for this party or that party. Also, very interesting when uh, that the uh, informational posters in a des- des- designated places have been um, um, a lot of sorry electoral banners 
being 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 posted there. And uh, and so and, and also we've seen trucks with with uh, party logos, cars with party logos going by, people with with party uh, logos on their hats or on their t-shirts. That's quite quite interesting because uh, we haven't seen that much color in recent elections and as as much um, let's say diversity. Obviously, um, the fact that there are uh, single-mandate districts and, and, and uh, individual candidates, that has helped with the color side of things. But at the same time, there's a lot of confusion. The voters, it's going to be 12 million voters, and they will be presented with up to five ballots uh, on the date of elections. And so they're going to be struggling to, to find the names that they, they want to vote for uh, find the exact balance between the 66% uh, party list and 33% single-mandate district subdivision, both at the parliament level and at the local assembly level. So it's a, it's essentially a very complicated system that would work much better if also there was a history of uh, fairer elections in, in Kazakhstan. But given the history of elections, I'm not sure whether this color that we see in the streets will be translated into a more colorful parliament. Good point. Thank you. Darhan, what's it look like in, in Astana? The streets, you know, what people are, television, that, all that. Does uh, it look different than previous elections? Yeah. Yes and no. Uh, for, so you, we, have not, uh, we have now mixed uh, uh, election system. So two-thirds of uh, seats are vote, uh, elected by a closely proportional system, and they are uh, being elected. Uh, these uh, seats are elected in a nationwide single district. So for the for the proportional part of the election, so nationwide TV, uh, uh, you know, ads or TV uh, videos are perhaps might be uh, very effective. But for a single mandate districts, so we see more and more indoor meetings, off offline uh, activities. And when you go to streets, like the, the any open space is infested by posters and billboards, and sometimes it's a little bit annoying because, you know, these meaningless posters, so vote for me and I will do this and I will do that. There are specific uh, proposals, specific ideas, which uh, it's very, it's going to be very hard to implement. Uh, even if they uh, they are going to win seats, and their idea, their programs like uh, lack solid, uh, rational uh, ideas, like their pompous, meaningless uh, promises. It looks like we are not ready, or since it's uh, the uh, we are having the single mandate majoritarian plural system for the first time in 19 years. Perhaps uh, the candidates, even genuine opposition figures, are not ready or uh, are unaware of how to hold like a quality campaigns. They are all struggling. On the other hand, uh, they're uh, very limited in terms of time and in terms of opportunities to generate you know, donations and financial support. So they're acting or doing their campaigns in a very limited, super limited uh, conditions. Perhaps that's uh, that's the reason. But overall, 
we see uh, in comparison to their previous elections, it looks like uh, the turnout will be a little bit higher. And I think that's what the authorities wanted in general, because OSCE's ODIR missions always criticized or uh, they gave uh, strong remarks regarding the the lack of competitiveness in the in the elections and the low turnout in big cities like Astana and in Almaty and these times it looks like the authorities wanted more turnout to portray the elections as legitimate democratic procedure okay great thank you uh, and then let me follow up with uh, another question are more people talking about the elections the upcoming elections i mean is this a you know in restaurants at on the bus, uh, whatever. Is, is this real something that, that people talking more about than they did previous elections or a lot about? Or, or is it just kind of, you know, that situation of, oh, yeah, more elections. Yeah, yeah, are you voting or not? And that's the end of the conversation. Yes, of course, there are more talks about the, the elections and especially on a regional level because of the, perhaps because of the political culture. So historically, the, the the elections on a leg- regional level or district level uh, has always been like you know more vibrant because there are different algorithms when it comes to electing local uh, council members because because the people vote on on uh, on the basis of kinship on the basis of being from one village and so on and so forth because they are going to see these people in everyday life, they know them in person, and for them, uh, voting, uh, the election on a local level, uh, elections are on a local level are more important, are more vibrant, and for them, the election on a national level is something away, something that they cannot affect, or something the authorities has already decided uh, what to be the outcome of the elections. That's why when it comes to single mandate uh, regional or district level, people are very active and even candidates are active, uh, you know, uh, asking their relatives and friends to to uh, help their campaigns. And, you know, it's done by hand-to-hand uh, methods or indoor meetings or, you know, by just uh, calling to all the people, you know, and that's it because of the scale. But when it comes to national level, I don't think that uh, the interest uh, changed a lot. Perhaps for some cities like Almaty and Astana, there would be more interest because uh, there are many new people and among them new, uh, the opposition figures or constant critics of the opponents. They may be the reasons to raise uh, the interest to the national elections. A little bit, but on a national scale, I don't see big changes. Thank you, uh, Paulo. Situation in Almaty: are, are people on the street talking about these elections more than usual? Well, yeah, not really. Uh, I agree with Darhan. It's more at the um, at the local assembly level, at the Maslihat level, uh, especially because um, uh, that's the occasion for people to bring about. Uh, the issues that, that are closer to them, so problems with infrastructure, the streets, the the paving of the streets, the p- public transit, uh, socioeconomic issues, not not just the socioeconomic issues of of their own neighborhood, but also their own personal finances, because uh, they were affected by 
both the January events last year, but also the ongoing war in Ukraine. Uh, and so, yeah, so they, they because people believe they, they can possibly potentially affect um, not the politics in general, not the ideology of, uh, of the local assembly, but, but actually achieve a single issue victories by, by uh, arguing uh, their points with, with the candidates. Um, but not really like it, we're far from point where, um, you know, like, for example, in the Europe, European experience, but also in the Georgian experience, but also in the Kyrgyz experience, sometimes the debate is like, you know, football teams, uh, fans uh, fighting each other over their favorite colors. We're still at the moment where we, we the, the, the main discussions are, are, are held at a single issue level. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Paulo. Um, and then I'm going to follow up with you then uh, for a question because uh, we're getting close to the end here. We're running low on time. D- when, when you talk to people about the upcoming elections, you know, and, and remembering that it's been 19 years since independent candidates were allowed to run, do, do people there, you know, there's a lot of younger people, as you mentioned, are voting for the first time or competing for the first time. Do they see this as a change in the system, really? Uh, or is it just simply this is a cosmetic change in, in one aspect of voting? I mean, you pointed out that even if, oppos- if opposition people won all the seats up for in single mandate districts, they still wouldn't have a majority. So the people you speak with, do they think that this election, the way they're doing this election, marks a change in the way Kazakhstan's government has been uh, conducting its affairs? Well, yeah, I mean, the, on, on the one hand, uh, they're aware of the fact that change won't happen on the 20th of March, so the day after the elections. But at the same time, they're, they're excited of this uh, window of opportunity. Uh, at the um, International Women's Day rally of March 8th, the, one of the feminist organizations uh, that organized the rally has a candidate, uh, promoted a candidate uh, at the majlis level. And, and they uh, very joyously uh, promoted her profile. And at the same time, at the rally, there were a lot of other candidates to the Maslihat and to the Majlis uh, running around and, and talking to people. And, and this is just one moment in Almaty, but uh, as also Darhan mentioned, there is always a discussion around. And this is because there is an understanding that this might be the literally the starting point. Maybe, you know, where the, the, there's not enough sort of political education to to hold a, uh, an election based on, on all the ideals and all the, the political ideologies yet. But at the same time, this could be a starting point where, where people start understanding that they can actually affect change and they can actually have a relationship with the candidate. Great. Thank you. Uh, Darhan, same question for you, too. The people you talk with in, in Astana, do they see this as, as something different in an election, part of a change? Uh, those who are, uh, who are participating in the election, they say that they're going to change the way how the parliament works. But to be honest, they are considered to be uh, very naive or what they say is considered to be like naivety. Because of the reasons you've mentioned, that even if all those seats are being uh, are being taken by the opposition, the majority will be on the ruling party anyway. So these uh, elections are not going to change the course of direction. But uh, for some people, 
is going to be like the, for some pe- uh, some of the candidates, independent candidates, candidates are participating in the elections for the sake of experience, for the sake of just raising issues in the parliament. But they are fully aware of the limits they are going to have, even if they are going to win the election. And we forgot to mention that there are certain category of people who would like to be uh, who who would also love to run for the parliament but are boycotting these elections because they are not seeing it as a fair competition they are seeing it as a, a tricky game by the authorities to attract more people to attract more positive uh, remarks from the international audience meanwhile uh, they're not going to let uh, these uh, junior opposition figures to change anything. So there. Are, so I would like to just highlight that there are some people who are waiting to see what would be the outcome of this election and uh, the fact that uh, about like a dozen candidates are losing their registration seems like uh, the authorities are not going to uh, are are not going to give up easily, even those limited 29 seats to uh, the vocal critics of the, uh, of the government. So I would, I would like to say that there is more of uh, skepticism rather optimism. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Darhan. Fortunately, we are out of time. Thank you, Paolo. Thank, and thank you, Darhan. And thank you to Nathan Shoemaker our Medjolis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjolis podcast or the Central Asian Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfeirl.org. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.